Welcome back, podcast friends, to I Am Healthy and Fit. I Am Healthy and Fit is the affirmation that begins changing your health and fitness from the inside out. I'm Steve Jordan, your health and fitness coach. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom, Aristotle. Today's guest, Maris Degener, has a hit documentary on Netflix right now called I Am Maris. Who is Maris? Maris is light. Maris is love. Maris is open-hearted. Maris is authentic. Maris is vulnerable. Maris is organic. Truthfully, Maris is just Maris. Maris is a 20-year-old college student who's impacted the world right now with her documentary called I Am Maris. If you scroll through Netflix and search under new releases or trending on Netflix, you'll find her documentary as I did just a few weeks ago. After watching her successful breakthrough during a challenging time in her young life to overcome an eating disorder, I was compelled to invite her on my podcast. Now, without further ado, let's get to know Maris. Welcome, Maris, to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here. I am... uh, I have to tell you, I've told you this, but I need to let the audience know this, that I have been more excited about this podcast than almost any other one that I have done. And I've got, you're going to be number 50 in the books in a year. So it's a pleasure again to have you here. I'm honored. Uh, I just want to give a little brief background on how you came to the show because Again, I told you this as well. I, I cold called you pretty much. I watched your episode on Netflix, which we're going to get into. I am Maris. And I was inspired. I was moved. I was shaken really to the core, uh, almost brought to tears from your story, your genuineness, your authenticity, and your organic ability to just be a bright light in, in life and in the world, and uh, especially on the show. And I said, I got to get this girl on the podcast, especially the I Am Maris and the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. It was like, uh, how could I not? So I reached out, I went to your website and reached out with a nice email and I got an email back within 24 hours, which I'm very keen on. You got a 24 hour window. I, that's my rule of thumb for getting back to people in business. Um, so again, I appreciate you t- spending the time here. I'm so excited for the guests to learn more about you, even on a deeper level than just what they get to know from watching your show on Netflix. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, and thank you for appreciating my, my email response time. That's, <laughs> it means a lot to have that noticed because most of the time, you know, when you hear about emails, you hear about when you don't reply to emails. So. Totally. Well, it's, you know, it's something that somebody taught me a long time ago. Um, I'm going to date myself here, but um, to give you a little history, and I gave you a little history about myself, one of my first career jobs was at the White House. Um, I was a trainer at the White House Athletic Center uh, when I was only 21 years old, uh, just getting into the industry. And I was watching a, a gentleman by the name of Ted Vicky speak at this AT&T wellness conference. And he spoke about emails being on your business card as the new way to do business. That's how old it was. It was like 1997, like putting your email on a business card. I didn't even have an email at the time. And it intrigued me. So you know, from then, and then there were certain tactics that you learned at an early age, like what you do with emails, like get back to people in a timely response. And 24 hours was what somebody had told me, I don't remember who. And I've always done my very, very best to do that. Oh my goodness. Well, I'll, I'll date myself and say I got my first email when I was in fourth grade. (laughs) My dad made that for me. And before I had a cell phone, that's how my friends and I would communicate. We would like use it almost like instant message. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And what was your email, your first email? Uh, I think it was just my name, just Maris Degener, still the same one. At what? What was it at? Uh, actually, you know, I think at the time it was like at comcast.net. Now I'm, now I'm over on Gmail. All right. Yeah, everybody's on Gmail now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was stevejordan29 at excite.com. Sure ah. Yeah, <laughs> not familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, um, I want to get into your story. Uh, it's, a, it's a profound story, one that moves me. Um, you had a, a breakdown in life. Uh, somewhere in your journey in life from, you know, when you, and I want you to kind of go into the story a little bit 
um, you, you, you fell, you, you like, not literally, but like you, something happened in your makeup, in your mindset, in your belief system, like that caused you to go down a path of malnourishing yourself, having, having an eating disorder and really breaking down like your, your mind, your body and your spirit. Um, and you rebuilt yourself back to be just in the opposite. You went from one extreme to the next. Um, and we're going to talk about that journey, but tell us a little bit about like your, your, your path to like what you were like growing up and your path to that eating disorder, recognizing it, seeing it, becoming aware of it. And then the point of having to take action. And then we're going to get into what you did to, to break through that. So I grew up in a, a pretty small town. And it was a town where you knew what everybody else was up to and everybody was in everybody else's business. And I also grew up in the Bay Area. So we were really close to Silicon Valley. We were close to Stanford, UC Berkeley. And it created this, this really high pressure academic environment. So even from a young age, you know, I was hearing about going to college and you know, that didn't just mean having strong academics, that meant doing well in sports, doing all the extracurriculars, finding a way to stand out. And to some extent, I'm grateful for that. You know, it, it instilled in me a, a really strong work ethic. I always had a, an eye on the future and where I wanted to be. Uh, but I also grew up with anxiety. And it wasn't well recognized or understood by my family when I was younger, but it was always there. And so that anxiety just really met all these expectations that weren't even from my immediate family so much as my community. Um, and it really blossomed into overwhelming perfectionism. Do you think it's a nature or nurture um, experience of having anxiety? Because I often wonder that. Is it a learned behavior or do you think it came from within somewhere? So I, I study psychology in university now. And that's like, that was one of the big debates in psychology forever is nature or nurture. Um, and, you know, one of my professors was just saying, like, when she was in school, they would have hours of just nature or nurture. And what we've landed on is that it's both. And for some people, it's just a different ratio, right? So um, there's a genetic level to it, some kind of predisposition in the way we're built just genetically. Um, and there's also a way that it can be triggered by your environment. And for some people, it's just more of one, less of the other. Uh, for me, I personally think that it's, it's in my DNA somewhere. It's a, it was a part of me as long as I can remember. But I think that the way it manifested itself and the degree to which it manifested itself, I think that was definitely a lot of nurture. Great. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, of course. Um, but it, and, you know, the, way it, the way it did manifest was in this perfectionism. And, uh, you know, I was always, always trying to be the best, right? Always trying to be the, I was in all the sports. I tried everything. I, I was top of my class. And uh, what happened was every time I would achieve something, I didn't feel a sense of relief of like, oh, I did that. I, I didn't give myself time to celebrate it. Instead, I felt pressure like, oh my gosh, I just keep raising the bar higher and higher and higher. And it feels like the house of cards has got to fall down at some point. Um, and so I started to just really withdraw into myself and I, I felt really isolated from my peers. I felt like I couldn't develop strong connections because I was spreading myself so thin. Um, because the workload and, and the demands you put on yourself because you had so many different tasks that you were, you had to be involved in, you didn't have time for friends. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't so much that I didn't have time. It was that I, I, I consider myself to be an introvert. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't like other people or I'm not good at communicating. It just means that I get my energy from when I'm alone. I don't get quite as energized with other people a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, I would do all these tasks and I was pushing myself to the limits and I, I just didn't have the energy to make deep, meaningful connections with other people. And I also was experiencing what I can now look back on and, and see was anxiety and depression. Um, but I just felt different. I felt weird. You know, when you're 12, 13, 14, it's, you don't go, oh my gosh, I'm going through something that maybe these people don't understand. You just go, oh, I'm weird and I'm different and people don't like me. Um, Did you know people didn't like you? Did they say that? Because I know bullying is a big issue now. Did you feel bullied or pressured or uh, isolated? Did people shun you away? You know, it's interesting because I don't, I don't think I was ever bullied. 
You know, I think a lot of this was an internal dialogue being projected out onto the world. You know, I, I was telling myself that I wasn't enough, right? I was never enough. And so I was like, oh my gosh, everybody around me must see plain as day that I'm not enough. <laughs> um, but nobody ever said it to my face. I had friends, you know, I, I had people who liked me. I was, I was fairly well liked, but um, I created this whole story around how I felt and that, that colored my whole world. The power of thought, again, the I yeah. am fit, right? I, that's a mantra incantation that helps to change the way you think before you can mm -hmm. achieve it. After yeah. the you can achieve it. Absolutely. And you know, that, that wasn't something that I was taught growing up, right? It, it was all about the external, right? The, the internal was kind of secondary. Like, oh, if we got to it, we'll think about positive thinking. Where now I look at it as the foundation. You know, it, it's so integral to what you can achieve. Um, but back then it was like, do all the things outside and then maybe if we get to it, we'll look at what's going on in here. Mm. Um, so you're in school, you're feeling isolated. How old are you at this point when you started to, you know, really start to go down the rabbit hole and, and start to really feel bad about yourself? So towards the end of middle school, around eighth grade, um, so I guess that made me around 12, 13, I, I started becoming very depressed because my anxiety was causing me to withdraw from the world. Um, you know, even leaving the house just felt like this immense task that was full of all the fears. I was facing all my fears every day. Um, and I was, you know, a competitive swimmer at the time. And the idea of diving into the pool in front of all my peers and trying my best and possibly not winning, that was an immense pressure. So I started to not do that. <laughs> Swimming is a really, like, very challenging, whether you're competing mm -hmm. or not. I competed when I was a kid, just on the swim team locally, um, and I swim now. It's always a pressure situation when you got to, like, you get into the swim area and you take off your shirt or whatever, even if you're, like, feeling good that day, you're like, oh, how are people going to look at me? Or then I got to get in this cold water and how am I going to perform? Like, all eyes on you. It's a oh, really yeah high pressured situation. Yeah, and you know, it's, a, it's such an individual sport too, right? It's not a team sport where it's the team collectively working together. It's like, it's you in your lane. And if it's a relay race, it's you and you're alone there and hopefully you help your team win. But yeah, it's, it's high pressure. And you know, I, I wasn't ever at like a super high level of, you know, I was never a professional. I, um, but I, I put the pressure on myself. Like it might as well have been the Olympics every time I stepped up to the blocks. Mm. Um, but I, because I was so anxious about it, you know, I, I stopped being able to, to do it. And it was a sense of community in my life. You know, when you're on swim team, your life is swim team. <laughs> Practice before school, after school. Yeah, super early is a huge commitment. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and when I started having panic attacks in the pool, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I, you know, I probably would have drowned. And I, I was withdrawing from everything, right? Only school, I could show up for school because if I didn't show up for school, my grades would slip. And that was an even bigger fear. Um, and so towards the end of my eighth grade year, I started self-harming. Mm. And, you know, to be honest, I have no clue where this idea came from for me. I, I don't think it was an idea that someone gave me specifically. It was just the only way I, I had to cope. Um, I didn't have any healthy way to, to express how I was feeling. And I didn't feel like I could tell anybody because when I did, it was like, oh, it wasn't the word anxious. It was a worry wart. Oh, you're just worried. Oh, you're nervous. You know, just, just get over it. Um, which of course people were saying with pure intentions, right? Like, oh, it's not a big deal. It'll be okay. But to me, it was like, Oh, nobody understands what I'm going through. So I stopped sharing what I was going through. Um, and that was a really easy slide into an eating disorder really taking over my life because that, that was the perfect culmination of, oh, I feel out of control. Well, I can control my food. Oh, I don't feel good enough. Well, I can make my body be good enough. Oh, I, my life feels wild and out of control and I just want to be perfect. Well, this is the perfect way to just make it all nice and tidy again, which of course is not exactly how it pans out, but that's how it feels in the moment. It's like, oh, I've, I've found the thing that will make everything fall back in line. Yeah. In something that we do every day that 
we often take for granted. Um, and it's something that, you know, food is either a medicine or a poison. There's that portion control is always important. And then, um, you know, there's this, like you said, an ability to control it. And it's an easy thing to, to control. Um, probably one of the easiest things because repetition is, you know, really a way to control and create um, structure. You can, you, you're supposed to eat three meals a day at least. And so you can control it three times a day. And if you're doing that for a week, it's a lot of repetition and you start to get into habits. Um, what were some of your habits that you created when you started to go down the, this area of, of eating, uh, I would call it an eating, I guess an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, what were you doing? So something that's very important to me that I, I only came to realize later in my, my eating disorder recovery journey is that I don't share specific habits um, because I look back on when I was really in the thick of anorexia and I consumed every bit of media there was of people telling their stories of anorexia, right? So memoirs and movies and, and there's even reality shows, just weird stuff out there. And I never walked away being like horrified. I never walked away like, oh, that's awful. How could they do that to themselves? I walked away with, oh, they ate that many calories or, oh, they, they didn't eat that food or this food. I should do that next. So I won't share specifics, but, you know, I definitely wasn't eating um, enough. You know, I, I went the route of limiting what I could eat because that felt pure. I felt like I was becoming more pure. Mm. What an incredible insight for you to, to say that and to really, you know, to recognize that you shouldn't and won't, don't want to share for those reasons that were, you know, they were enlightening you, so to speak. I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm really taken back and, and I'm honored that you did that. That's really cool. Oh, well, thank you. And, you know, it's something that people just wouldn't even think about if they hadn't been in, in those shoes, right? It, you know, people who haven't experienced an eating disorder or um, maybe just aren't quite as predisposed to developing an eating disorder, you know, they can look at those stories and think, oh, that's horrible. I'd never do that. But to someone who's in a, a really vulnerable position, you know, that it won't quite be taken the same way. So I always try to think about um, how my past self would hear the story and whether it's inspiring hope and recovery or whether it's unnecessarily triggering. Awesome. So how long did this period last? How many years? And for those of you, again, who don't know Maris's story, watch Netflix, I Am Maris, and you're going to get, uh, you know, a really great perspective of it. But this is, I mean, right now, this is invaluable info that you won't get on the show. Yeah, you know, we only had so much time. It's awesome that we get to, to dive into the stuff that didn't make it off the cutting room floor. Um, but when, uh, so around eighth grade was when my eating disorder really culminated. Um, I was only fully in it for about a year because at the end of my freshman year of high school, I was hospitalized. So my parents just noticed that I, you know, I wasn't able to engage in meal times. Uh, they actually found out that I had started to purge. So that was a that was something that was, I think, a big wake up call for them. Um, because you know, there's just something different about oh, they're you know they're on a diet or oh, you know they're just eating healthier. That's easier to look away from, even when it starts to get to the extreme. But I think the the actual the the purging, which just seems so you can't understand it if you're not in that mindset. I think that was the big cue to them that I needed help. So they took me to a therapist and an eating disorder specialized doctor um, who pretty much immediately recommended that I be hospitalized. And so that was really the, you know, in AA, they call it rock bottom. So if, that would probably be my rock bottom. Mm. And how did that feel at a young age? having to be hospitalized and go through this and this therapy and, and being diagnosed in this, in this way, um, it must've been quite traumatic. I mean, we see some of the clips of you having tantrums and, and, you know, really lashing out at your parents and even the therapist, what was going on inside you during that time? I was really angry. You know, the, the emotion that I, that comes up is just anger. You know, I, I, I already felt misunderstood and now it felt like the one thing that had given me a sense of control was being taken away. And 
the idea of being completely pulled from my life, pulled out of school, which was like my sense of identity as this star student, um, and just being, you know, told what to do. Every, every choice was taken away from me. You know, every meal was picked by somebody else. I, I couldn't use the bathroom without someone observing, you know. Um, I, I just felt humiliated and angry and exposed. Like all, all these dirty secrets, everything I'd felt inside was now being poked and prodded by every doctor in the Bay Area, it felt like. Um, and, you know, now I look back and, and I can see all the things to be grateful for, right? I can see, oh, what a privilege to have access to healthcare. What a privilege that my parents were able to make that happen. Um, but at the time, I... I didn't care. You know, I, I was not grateful in any way. I was angry. Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I want to acknowledge your mom, Sharon, and mm. your dad as well. Uh, what's his first name? Steve. Steve, that's right. Steve, there's... <laughs> and Sharon, um, if you're listening to this, and I really hope you are, uh, kudos to both of you for being outstanding, extraordinary parents to face in that darkness, you know, the love and light that you had to give Maris and, and bring her through all of that journey and, and, you know, stand by her through thick and thin. And um, what an outstanding, you know, achievement as parents. Um, so many times parents aren't acknowledged. And, you know, I, I want to give you that. I'm not a parent yet, but I felt your pain, your suffering, but now I feel your your joy and, and peace, you know, that you have with marriage. So I want to acknowledge both of you for that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, they, they're spectacular. The, yeah. I mean, my mom never left my bedside while I was in the hospital. She, she slept there as many nights as I did. And of course, my dad was still taking care of my brother, who was, you know, 10 years old at the time. So they, the, how, how they navigated all of that and how they were able to be a rock when I could not be my own foundation. I think that's just, it's really worth acknowledgement. Yeah, that, that, that is, that's love. Love has, mm -hmm. has no boundaries. You will do anything for love and your loved ones, especially mm -hmm. your children. So um, that's awesome. So you get the help. You're on the other side of recovery now. You're able to get out into the real world. What's happening now? So it's the interesting thing about eating disorders is that they have a lot of physical outward symptoms, but the majority of the work is internal. So the hospital was really good at capturing those external symptoms and, and tackling them. So it, it, you know, it, it made sure my body got nourishment again. It, it made sure my organs were working back up. It, it got me in a steady place where I actually had the, the time now, the time in life <laughs> to, to do all that internal work. So I really left the hospital just starting this journey. Um, it was like my body had been preserved and now I had to go untangle everything that had been frozen inside. Um, and so for a while after I was in the hospital, my full-time job was recovery. You know, I think I only had like one week left of school. So I, I went back for that and was kind of semi-present. And then I spent the summer after just still on partial bed rest, therapy multiple times a week, doctor's appointments multiple times a week, uh, and a lot of time tackling difficult meals. You know, every meal was a whole, a whole production. You know, my, my parents would tell you a lot of those tantrums, a lot of those fits, you know, every single meal every day. So my, my full-time job was just like learning how to be human again learning how to take care of myself again and overcoming those mental barriers that had been constructed in my mind around what was safe to eat, what was safe to do, what was safe to share with other people. It was a, it was a full-time job. Now, during this process, are you thinking about being fully recovered or were you oscillating between like, this is, I'm never going to be normal again. I'm, you know, not going to be the same as I was, or I'm never going to be healthy, or I'm not going to be able to have normal eating patterns. I'm going to be anorexic my whole life. And on the other extreme, we're saying like, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be fit. I'm going to eat like, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm anorexic is just going to be a story that eventually is going to one day be in my past. Like what were you, what was your mindset during this? It, it was, it was kind of going back and forth. 
So when I was in the hospital, uh, I kind of set the intention to be the perfect patient, right? If I couldn't be perfect anywhere else, I was going to be the perfect patient and I was going to eat every meal, everything they put in front of me. And I wasn't going to give any sass to the nurses. I was just going to be there. Um, because I thought, you know, the, the sooner I do everything they say, the sooner my vitals are good, the sooner I can get out of here and go right back to what I was doing before. So that, that was what got me through the hospital. And that's what got me into that steady state. So it wasn't like I went in and was like, well, I guess, you know, I'm going to heal now. I was almost conniving, you know, my eating disorder was almost conniving. Um, but I, I was like, okay, perfect patient going to get out of here. And then I got out. And I realized, oh, well, one, my parents are watching everything I eat. So it's kind of hard to go back to what I was doing before. And two, if I do go back to whatever I was doing before, I'm going to end up right back in the hospital. So in a way, I kind of tricked myself into recovery. So I was like, okay, maybe I can find a middle ground. Like maybe I won't gain as much weight as they want me to, but maybe I'll, I'll gain a little bit. Or well, maybe I, you know, won't eat that once people aren't looking at me anymore. But for now I can eat that. And it was kind of that, that fake it till you become it, fake it till you make it. You know, I was kind of being like, okay, well, once everybody's eyes are off me, you know, maybe I'll go back. But the more I did it, the more I was able to realize, oh, what I'm doing is recovering. You know, what, what I'm doing is tackling my fears. What I'm doing is healing my body. And very, very slowly, that's starting to heal my mind and my soul. So I think sometimes we get this idea that you have to go into recovery and not be scared of anything and just be ready to recover. Um, When in reality, like all you need is an ounce of curiosity about what might happen if, if you just, if you just try it, you just keep going a little, a little bit further each day. Um, And eventually your, your biggest fear just starts to become what you're exercising in your daily life. Love it. It's fantastic. And that's, you know, body emotion stays in motion, right? It could be positive in a positive direction or a negative direction. And exercise, being healthy, being fit, uh, overcoming challenges like challenges that you're you were faced with, challenges that I've been faced with, and that every single listener that is listening to this has been faced with. There's nobody in this world who has not been faced with a challenge. Mm-hmm. You just have to know the direction, or get coached, and or find the resources and take that first step, like you said, that curiosity of saying, you know, I I know that this way is a little better. And today I'm going to maybe walk a block. And then tomorrow you walk a block and a house and a block and a house and two the next day. And you just keep going. And before you know it in a week, you've gone around the block, a block and a half. And it just little things, little steps, step by step. Um, I like that a lot. Um, Where, when, when you got out and you're now, you're, you're taking action, we're going to segue now into yoga. Where did yoga get introduced into the therapy and recovery? So after that, that summer of, of really intensive work, recovery work, uh, I, I went to my doctor as I was starting to get taken off of bed rest, partial bed rest. And I was like, how, how can I move my body? <laughs> you know, I had been active my whole life and you know, to be honest, my eating disorder was looking for a way to burn calories again. Uh, so I didn't ask with the purest of intentions, but I was like, how can I move my body now that I'm, you know, not in constant trouble? She was like, well, you could try yoga. It's, you know, gentle, it's stretching. And I, I remember rolling my eyes or internally rolling my eyes and thinking like, yeah, that's some hippie junk. I don't know about that. <laughs> that doesn't sound hard enough to burn any calories. Um, but I was like, well, you know, if that's what I can get. I can take it. And I, it just so happened that a, a new yoga studio was opening up in my area. And the local Lululemon store, the like athletic apparel store, they were offering free classes there every Sunday to help them get off the ground. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I was like, well, it's free. I can go. And I, I went to this first class on a Sunday morning and I met the owner. She was there. And I was the first one there. So we got to chat a little bit. And I went through this whole class and it was, it was wild. I had no clue what was going on, right? Like words I didn't understand and movements that felt weird in my body because I was, I was still like a baby deer, just like getting my limbs back. And, you know, at one point the teacher actually had us get up and just dance, just without instruction, without fear of who was looking at you, just dance. 
And I found myself at some point in the class just smiling, the real genuine smile. And it was the first time that I'd ever experienced joy when I wasn't trying to be good at something. Like, there was no way to be good at this. There was no way to be perfect at this. And I was really happy. And I, I just wanted to chase that feeling. And so I, I kept going back and I built a relationship with the owner, with Jenny. And um, it just, one thing led to another. And all of a sudden, I understood why yoga was recommended as a healing modality. Because it's, it's so much more than the poses on your mat. It's so much more than the handstands and the splits. There's, there's really a, an incredible vastness beyond that first, that first step. Absolutely. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Lululemon. Uh, I'm an ambassador mm. for them. Uh, Ooh. Like nine years um, with the Beverly Hills Lululemon. And uh, they, and I bring this up not to really just to cast a shadow on Lululemon, what they do as far as community is concerned. Their, their ability to influence their community or individuals in their community is one that I've never experienced or seen even still to this date after the so many years they've been doing it. Others have come along and tried to recreate what they've done, but they, they just can't do it. Um, and it's a really an outstanding shop organization. Um, I did this thing called the Landmark Forum. I'm not sure if you know what that is or heard yeah. of it. Yeah, I did this. Um, I did a lot. I did it in New York City. It's what gave me the freedom, the power to move here when I had a stellar career there and I was living La Vida Loca there, having fun in my mid twenties. And, um, I wanted to come out to California to be a trainer to the stars and, you know, search for my dream and fulfill my passions. And, um, it gave me that freedom. Uh, the landmark forum, again, another amazing thing, but what the Lululemon owner, uh, did was he, gave people promotions or when they were with them for a year, he would encourage everybody to go to Landmark Forum. And it was about being your true authentic self and finding your, your, uh, they call blind spots and whatnot. Have you done it? Have you done the Landmark Forum? I haven't, but I've gotten to work with Lululemon in different capacities and they've offered similar, yeah, similar opportunities. I encourage you to do it. It'll, uh, you're a very authentic individual already, but it might open, it, it prop not might, I am certain it will open something up for you that you, again, can't see, that you don't know that you don't know. Um, it's a very, very compelling and very interesting experience. So I encourage you to do that. But Lululemon is, uh, again, shout out to them for just creating spaces and all their locations for the, the, the awakening that you had. No, they're, they're remarkable. I, I got to go in uh, February and speak at their leadership summit to their, their store managers and, you know, everything you're talking about with their, their community building and their fostering of growth, like they have a true investment in, in people's individual lives. Yes. And I think that that is definitely worth, worth recognizing. Yeah, certainly. Okay. So now you're feeling the good vibes of yoga and you go and you go get a yoga training, but you, what I learned on the show is that you were the youngest yoga instructor going through the teacher training. Um, what was that like? And, you know, there's a lot of pressure there again, I'm sure, to perform and do your best. How are you managing all this? So after, you know, after I started practicing at this studio, I, I remained very close with the owner. Um, and, you know, the studio was still getting off the ground. So there were days where it was just me and the owner in class or just me and one other student. Um, and so we, we got very close. And eventually she gave me a, a job working the front desk at the studio, checking people in and cleaning yoga mats and, you know, all that fun stuff. And by this point, I was, I was 15. And she came in while I was working one day to the front desk. And she said, you know, we're, we're getting ready for our first teacher training program here at the studio, and we have one scholarship position, and we, we want to give it to you. And, you know, my first thought was, is that legal? Like, can a 15-year-old do that? Um, and I was so scared. But I, she had given me so much already. You know, I don't know if she even knows to this day how much she meant to my recovery. I think she um, This is the, the woman in the show. Yeah, she's the... 
Yes. Yeah. Jenny. Jenny. Uh, again, acknowledgement to Jenny for your outstanding ability to see uh, a shining star um, and a diamond in the rough. Kudos to you. Uh, yeah, I can tell she has a profound amount of love and attraction for you and to, and to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, that, that first class I took with her, she had a, a yoga mat from Lululemon to give away. And she was like, I want to give this to someone who I, I noticed when they walked in this space, you know, right when they walked in and someone that I, I hope we'll get to connect with far into the future. And I remember looking around like, oh my gosh, is she talking to me? <laughs> I still have that yoga mat. Awesome. Um, but she definitely has always been someone who, who believed in me before I, I could believe in myself and, and helped me build that courage to believe in myself. Um, and so I, you know, I was so scared of doing teacher training. I was terrified, but I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do it for Jenny. I have to do it for Jenny. You know, she gave me this opportunity. I can't just throw it away. And so even like I, I showed up basically in tears to the first night of training. Like, what am I doing? I'm so scared. I'm a junior in high school. Um, I'm still finding my footing in recovery. And, you know, I, I showed up for her until I could show up for myself. And that was a huge part of the, the training process. Because the, the really beautiful thing about Just Be Yoga's training is that there's such an emphasis on the internal work that comes with yoga, right? The, the personal self-growth. Um, and it, it didn't breed a competitive atmosphere at all. Um, because it, there was no top of the class. There, was, there were no grades. It was all of us collectively coming to, to recognize how the yoga had affected us all differently, you know, equally, equally impactfully, um, but differently. And so there was a lot of unique unveiling of, you know, what the yoga meant and then how to channel that, that respect that we have for the practice and how to channel that, uh, that honor we have for it into sharing it with others from a place of service. So that was a whole new way of being for me. I was like, where are the grades? Like, where's my report card? I want to know I'm good. Give me the gold star. And it was a whole learning of, oh no, that, that's not what this is about. Not at all. I love what you said there, a whole new way of being. Being mm. is all encompassing. It's like all in, mind, body, and soul. And you know, oftentimes when people exercise or do a yoga class or do a fitness class, or embark, go, go for a run or a jog, whatever it is, they don't necessarily be in those moments, right? They're kind of half in, half out. They may be there physically, but they're not there mentally. And when you can really be and be healthy and fit, be whatever it is you want, you're going to profoundly magnify that, that whatever it is you're doing. Um, I love that you do that. How do you, and I'm going to sidetrack here for a sec, how do you maintain that level of being and the sense of being? Because I think that's really important to know. Well, I mean, that's, that's the yoga practice. You know, you know, like I said, it's so much more than the poses, right? Yoga is founded on the breath. And so the, you know, the mind is really good at time traveling, right? Like anxiety is traveling forward to worry about the future and then you know, you can, you can worry about the past, you can have dread, um, but the, the body is stuck here in the present. Right now, we'll see where science goes. Right now, we can't time travel. And the breath is what connects us into that moment. It, it roots us right in. And so, you know, the biggest lesson that yoga gave me was just how to breathe, right? I, I'd never intentionally breathed before. And I was like, oh, like, there's all this space opening up in my body. And you know, when I breathe it, it does have an impact on how I'm feeling on a, on a physiological level. Um, and so it's, it is a continuous practice for me. But I think what I have learned more and more over time is that it really is that simple. It's about breathing and, and being where you are. And if that's your entire yoga practice of feeling your feet on the floor or being in child's pose and connecting into your breath and channeling it, you know, that, that is a state of being, and that is a, a sense of, a healthy sense of control, right? Opposed to the senses of control I'd had before as a healthy sense of control over where you are and who you are and how you are uh, that can step off and away from the mat and encompass everything, like you said. 
definitely. And I, I love the breath work. I've gotten a lot more into it over the past like six years or so. And it changed everything for me. I used to have anxiety, not to the extent you did, but there were a few times I had anxiety attacks. Uh, my dad has had a few that ended up, he had to end up in rehab um, for certain things. So it does run in the family, right? So a little nature and nurture. Um, and the anxiety was always caused by fear, um, the fear of something, false expectations of, uh, of unrealized, what is the, false expectations about- Appearing real? I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, false expectations about appearing real. Um, but the breathing really does help and it's really uh, made a difference in my life. In episode 24 of this podcast, I Am Healthy and Fit, I had uh, a meditation guru on there uh, from Unplug, which is a great um, space here in New York and Los Angeles to go in and meditate and breathe and get through it. And I think they're expanding all over. But um, episode 24 in that episode, there's some breath work in there that I definitely recommend going and listening to that. Um, that's, a, that's a really good one. Um, and if you don't listen to it, just focus on your breath, right? I, 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 what I do, um, tell me what you do. Um, I do two seconds in, two second hold at the top, and two seconds on the exhale. So it's an easy number to remember, two, two, two. Um, and I just repeat that, and I just think about that, and I do it three to five times, and then I pay attention to how I feel, and it totally resets me. Um, you know, just, I mean, for the 30 seconds, 45 seconds I did it, I feel like a new person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, and it really can be that simple and it's so portable. It goes with you. It is. Um, yeah. That's the funny thing is about exercise and health and fitness. And I'm sure you can relate. We tend to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Right. I just say, keep it simple, silly. Like it's really that simple. Just do it. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to look like what it does people doing on Instagram, all these, you know, crazy moves and this and that. And uh, no, no, no. It could be as simple as just sitting on your couch and breathing for 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now you're in yoga, you're teaching, you you get through your, you you start your first class. What's, I want to, what's that like? What's your first class like teaching? You know, the, I think one of the first classes I ever really taught was a Lululemon community class. So I felt safe, you know, and and it was so cool because, you know, this was the store where I had taken my, you know, I had been welcomed into my first yoga practice and, you know, beyond that. um, So it felt very full circle, right? Coming back and there were all these storm employees and, and, you know, the manager were there who had watched me, you know, when I was, you know, I felt like I had transformed so much who had seen me kind of before and was seeing me now. Um, And, you know, what I found was just a a pure sense of joy. And I hadn't felt much pure joy in my life. You know, there was always that, you know, the bar is too high and the perfection and the the drive to control, but there was just joy. And and it felt like purpose behind it. I, I felt like I was stepping into a new chapter in my life where I, I had a reason and I was so much less attached to the outcome. You know, it, before it was all about the outcome and less about the purpose. Now it was about the purpose. And I remember one of my teachers when she gave me, you know, feedback on the class that I had taught in training. And she said, I, I've never seen you smile like that before. I've never seen you happy like that before. And it was this first clue of, oh, I think I understand why I'm still alive now. Because that was a question I'd grappled with, right? I, I had gone through periods where I, I didn't want to be alive. And I had been looking around this whole time while I was in the hospital and recovering and uh, being poked and prodded. And I was like, you know, what, what is all of this for? Um, and now I'm, I'm so grateful that I had that ounce of curiosity to keep getting to that point where I looked around and I was like, oh, this is why this feeling right here, these people right now, this practice that we're sharing, this is why. I love that this person, the owner, how she acknowledged you and gave you a compliment and shines some light on something that she saw that maybe you could not. Mm -hmm. I find that often we are all too scared to compliment somebody, to give Mm -hmm. someone a really true, sincere appreciation or a compliment. And when we do that, 
the world can open up crazy possibilities. Look what it just did for you. Had she not have given you that compliment after that first class, you might not have felt as good as you did and had seen that opportunity where you were feeling that abundant joy that now is your, your being, your essence. Yeah, those, those little, what they sometimes feel like throwaway moments of human connection, they can set you on, any, on a different path. You know, it, it's just those little things. And, you know, sometimes, especially in this age where we're mostly communicating through screens and through text, you know, um, those moments where we can really be with someone and, and share with them and be a mirror and hold up what we see in them, those are, those are powerful. Yeah, they certainly are. Now, you're, you have a, an amazing website, yogamaris.com. Um, uh, there's tons of information on there. But even prior to getting into yoga, prior to getting into you know, your show on Netflix, and we're going to get to that, you were an artist. You, you, were, you drew and you painted and you um, were blogging and writing. You're a prolific writer. You're, mm-hmm. Your writing is because it's authentic. It's who you are. I mean, you can hear it in your voice and the way you speak. You're wise beyond your years. You're articulate. You're just real. You're raw and real, which is very attractive. So your writing is, gonna, is celebrating that as well. How did you get into that and finding your voice? You know, I, I was raised by books. You know, I, I loved to read um, to the point where I would get in trouble for like reading at the dinner table under the table, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always had this, this passion for the written word. Um, and so that was one of the ways that I could channel my emotion, you know, was journaling and writing. And, and that was something I could access at an early age. Um, but it, it didn't always work because I wasn't, um, I, you know, I wasn't trained in how to use it as a coping mechanism. I wasn't taught that. Um, so, you know, there was kind of a, a natural way of dipping my toe into the water, but sometimes I couldn't find the words. Mm. And so that really led to me painting and drawing. Um, and it was a way of taking all these emotions that felt really heavy inside and putting them somewhere outside of myself where I, I didn't have to carry them. I didn't have to hold them anymore. Uh, and that um, that was something that could be wordless and 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 beautiful. You know, I was making something that I found to be beautiful, and that was something that that gave me a lot of comfort, even when I didn't have a lot of awareness around the fact that what I was doing was using a coping mechanism was coping. Are you able to look back at that artwork at that time, especially during that dark time of your life, with? respect and the same eyes and perspective that you did once before or is it a scary dark place that you don't want to go back to you know it's interesting because i I get that question and you know i hear people say that they're scared of it (laughs) you know there's a scariness to it but i've never been afraid of it Mm -hmm. Um, maybe because maybe because i i've been so privy to it i've it's not a it's not an it's not a foreign beast to me i understand it um, but it's always been an, an aesthetic that I was drawn to. You know, I was always a big fan of, of Frida Kahlo and, and similar artists. So that um, almost harrowing aesthetic, that was, that's not something I'm afraid of. Um, but, you know, I look back and I do feel sadness for the girl who made those paintings. I, I feel sadness that that was the only way she could communicate how she was feeling. And... I also am proud of her for, for being able to do anything at all. You know, um, I could have gotten to a place where I was so paralyzed by everything that was happening that I, I lost the will to create. And there wouldn't be shame in that. You know, I'm sure there's people who would experience that. Um, but I'm, I'm proud that she, she kept expressing and that she kept putting it out there. That's great. And I think that is a very important message to listeners to keep putting it out there, keep finding ways to express yourself and communicate how you feel, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, The more you can communicate, the better someone in your life could understand you or help you or share with you or celebrate you. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's really important there. Um, 
what's your favorite book? And what book would you recommend to a health and fitness audience? Ah, okay. Well, the book I would recommend to a, a health and fitness audience would be The Yamas and Niyamas by Deborah Adele. Um, and that's a really beautiful and very accessible introduction to the yoga beyond the asana, beyond the physical practice. Um, and so that will really help show you how, how much there is to learn about yoga and how the yoga can be integrated into your daily lives. So I, I always recommend that as a, as a beginner. Can you repeat that again? The What's Yamas that? and Niyamas by Deborah Adele. And then what book have you read that you love other than that one that just you keep coming back to? Um, let's see. You know, one that I've always loved is White Oleander. And it's, it's a fiction book, and I don't read a lot of fiction. So that, that really sticks out to me. It's, uh, it's a story about a, a poet and her daughter. Um, and it's, it's written... It, it, the way it flows is, is pure poetry, and I, I don't want to spoil anything about it, but White Oleander is a, is a beautiful read. Okay. So now we're getting into Netflix. Netflix is the biggest media uh, channel out there right now. It's worldwide, growing exponentially. Grateful I own stock early. <laughs> and, Congrats. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have a lot of clients in the industry that told me very many years ago to get into it. So um, I listen to those that are successful. Um, but um, how did this come about? I mean, this is profound. You're 20, 21? How old are you? I'm 20. 20. I know that it says that in your website, but I didn't know where you were right now. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 years old, you, you know, went through a traumatic experience of a eating disorder, recover, get into yoga, you build up your community and friendships and business through Lululemon. Um, you're in the Bay Area among other huge influencers, but yet Netflix finds an opportunity to create this show, or you create a show with somebody, a producer, and Netflix picks it up, and it's now a five-star rated, a top like pick on Netflix. How do you do that? It's a wild ride. And, you know, we, we never had the dream that it would be on Netflix. It was all, it was all kind of a grand mistake. So, um, As a lot of times those big successes are. It's a lot of luck, right timing, right positioning. And oh, yeah. You know what? You were prepared for it. Luck, when, when opportunity meets preparation, you sometimes get luck. So I agree. Yeah. What, what happened was I, when I was in like middle school, I was babysitting my neighbor's kids while she went to film school and she, she wanted to go back to film school and become a filmmaker. She had this dream and, you know, she eventually moved her family like the next town over and we lost touch. And years later, after I went through, you know, the hospital and everything, uh, my mom was posting pictures of my paintings on Facebook and Laura the filmmaker, she saw them and was like, you know, everybody's saying how beautiful these are, but I think there's a story there. Like I, I see true emotion behind these paintings. And so she reached out to my mom and found out what I was going through. And she started, you know, watching me, you know, around that time I started my blog. And a few months after that, it got picked up by CNN. And so CNN did a piece on the blog. Um, and you know, she was like, I, I think something is, is happening here. I think I want to try and capture this time. And so she kind of out of nowhere came up to me and was like, Hey, do you want to make a short film? And, you know, let's, we'll integrate your paintings and we'll read your blog posts and we'll take some pretty, you know, videos of you practicing asana and, you know, let's just make a cool little thing. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, it'll probably be like 10 minutes. It'll end up on YouTube or something. You know, I can put it on my blog. And it just kept growing. Like there just more things popped up for her to film and more people started getting interested. And, you know, out of nowhere, an animator came in. And then, uh, you know, her husband was at a cocktail party for an alumni function and just happened to meet one of these, uh, you know, top people at a film distribution company. and it all just kind of fell together. And next thing we knew, we had a, a full length film and 
we were pitching it to Netflix and, you know, everything aligned and um, we ended up, you know, having this huge global release and we're just blown away by the response. Mm. And how long has it been released? I just noticed it uh, about two weeks ago when we first communicated. It came out April 1st. So it sounded like a big April Fool's Day joke to all, (laughs) all my friends. I was like, I promise I'm not pulling a prank on you. This is, this is really happening. Well, I am again, grateful that I got you now because it's going to be hard to get you in another month or two, because you're going to be, you're going to be, everybody's attracted to you and you're going to be pulling at you from all different directions. Um, I am grateful I, I reached out at that moment. So um, why I am Maris? How did you come up with that title and what does it mean? You know, it's interesting because I, I didn't pick the title, Laura did. And I asked her the same question, like, why I am Maris? And there's a piece on my blog that I wrote, because she, she's read everything I've ever written, trying to find, you know, a narrative. And I wrote this piece about a class I took with my teacher, Jessica, uh, where she was talking about the power of repetition, you know, which you mentioned earlier. Um, and the power of using a mantra, I am whatever you want to be, and using that to construct your reality. Um, so that idea that, you know, what you repeat is, you know, you'll start to believe it. And once you start to believe it, you integrate it into who you are and your actions. And then one day it's just, you are. Um, and so Laura wanted to capture that essence of, you know, I, I am me. I, I already am Maris. You know, I'm not trying to find myself. I, I'm rooted in myself. And uh, I think that's, that's really wonderful that she was able to capture that in, in just a short title. That's beautiful. And that is true, the power of I am. That's how I came up with this title, uh, just to tell you a little bit about how yeah. I did and the audience. I don't think they ever, I don't think my listeners have heard this before. I listened to Joel Osteen, uh, who's a preacher, um, you know, really profound. Somebody had turned me on to him about seven years ago when I was going through a very challenging time, a breakup in a relationship where I needed a lot of help uh, to get over and through it. And I was listening to his audiobook, The Power of I Am. Didn't dawn on me at that time, but I've listened to that book several times. And about four years ago, I was writing my book that I'm still writing, <laughs> um, and but I didn't have a direction really. I didn't have a title, and I started to think about my recovery of my traumatic brain injury, which will be 25 years of September, mm. and how I overcame that. And it was the power of my thoughts. Like it was no special doctor or medicine or this or that. It was my internal belief system that I knew that I was going to fully recover. I did not care what anybody thought. Very much like you, you're like, I'm going to get back into school. I'm going to master the process of recovery, do whatever the doctors say, plus more. And um, I used mantras. I don't believe, honestly, it was I am healthy and fit, but I used mantras because I knew mantras and incantations from sports growing up, right? You don't go into a game and say, I am going to lose, right? That's yeah. <laughs> go into a game, I'm going to win. We're going to kick ass, like whatever it is. Um, And so I use those mantras and incantations to help my healing process and recovery, which extended over three years. But um, I thought about the power of I am. And I was like, well, what do people come to me for? Because they want to be healthy and they want to be fit. That's what I do. It's a full circle, like all encompassing experience when you work with me. Um, But it is about then believing in I am healthy fit. So I started to like, I wrote it down as I did with many other like titles that I thought I'd want to do. And then I started to put it into practice. And when I started to work with somebody, and even when I was working with someone, I would start to get them to say these incantations, like being a coach, having them like start changing the way they were thinking, like, let's do this. I am healthy and fit. Let's hit this next set. And it started to take on momentum. And that's how I came to it as well. So it's not like, I mean, there is so much power in I am. And that was uh, what you said about I am Maris. I am me. That's it. Like, that's who you are. One of the exercises in my book, and I don't want to give too many details of it away, is an exercise to say 
your name, like I am Maris. But if you then say, the next one is to say, I am Josephine, right? You're going to feel weird saying it because it's really not truly who you are. And so it gives you this feeling, emotion of the difference between who you really authentically are and who you aren't. And when you can see and feel that experience, you then can use the power of I am in a positive direction when you want to be healthy and fit or you want to be yourself, use it and use that powerful way. Just like we talked about breath work, how simple it could be. Everything you need is within you now. Those words are within you now. You can do it anywhere at any time under any circumstances, no excuses. And that is how I care about this. And I'm sharing and I'm taking away from your, your time and experience here because I thought it was just really, it was perfect timing to, to, to sh share with the audience why I chose I Am Healthy and Fit, which I had never done before. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's, always, it's always powerful to hear everybody's unique experiences and also see the, the similarities. Yeah, thank you. It's in there. It is. We all are similar. That's the beauty of life as well. We have to, as unique as we are and as extraordinary as we are, we all have similar um, predictable patterns of being or not being. What now you, you got Netflix, what's on your agenda over the next, you know, like that million dollar question, what are you going to do over the next five years? Like, I'm going to say, what are you going to do over the next six months? I think you're headed off to New Zealand for, is that right? I think I saw uh, for a, for a, uh, like a film festival of some sorts. The film is there. My body is in America. I have finals. <laughs> I'm still in university. So I'm, um, I'm wrapping up my junior year in these next few days. And then um, this next summer, I'll be traveling a little bit, uh, leading workshops and retreats, um, somewhat in correlation with the film, but also just on my own personal mission and um, having my eyes set on the next thing I want to tackle, which is a book as well. I would, awesome. I would really love to have that be my next project. Well, I don't doubt that you're not going to be very successful at that. It's a, you're, you know, you've been doing it for so long. I, uh, I've been more of a movement oriented kinetic person in my life. Um, writing anything and sitting down. I even remember like in high school having to do homework. I'd start fussing around with my drawers and things inside them and whatnot. I'd be easily distracted. I think I was ADD. I wouldn't label myself that, but I think if they did or I did, that might be the case, but I enjoy moving more. So writing for me has been a challenge, um, but I am almost done with it and I'm excited about it. It's gonna be done before the anniversary of my 25th anniversary on September 23rd of my head injury. So that. thanks, that's a big uh, deal for me. Um, what is, what's Maris's like, what's your long-term goal? You graduate college, you wanna continue down the path of health and fitness, teaching yoga. Where do you see yourself in a few years when you graduate? Uh, you know, my passion is just to keep connecting with people in person. So if that takes the form of uh, teaching yoga, like in a studio or leading workshops or retreats, trainings, I would love to keep sharing the practice that way. Um, but if it takes on a different form of connection or um, advocacy, uh, being of service is very important to me. I'm, I'm open to that as well. So I'm trying to stay more connected to how I want to feel and a little less attached to exactly what it will look like. That's awesome. Great. And is there anything in your life that you are grateful for now that you haven't shared with anybody that you want to shed light on that you just are, again, great, you're grateful for, that you're in gratitude for? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I am just so grateful for my family. And that's, that's been brought up a few times uh, throughout all of this, our conversation. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for uh, their ability to always see the real me because there were times where my eating disorder was more present than I was and it, it said hurtful things and it did hurtful things, um, but they have always been able to see clearly what's me and, and what's the disorder. So um, I've always, um, I, I don't know if they can hear that enough, so I'll, I'll take this chance to say it now and to any family members of someone going through something challenging that might be listening, just um, know that it is so needed and so appreciated and 
they might not be able to articulate that to you directly, at least right now, but um, stay rooted in knowing that what you're doing is, is incredible. Yeah, don't give up, keep going, because you could be a day, a moment, a conversation, a word away from changing somebody's life. Absolutely. Like we talked about. Um, well, we are approaching our final moments in this podcast, our timing, um, and it's been extraordinary. A really uh, a unique and fun experience for myself. Um, I feel connected to you, as I'm sure our listeners do, and I'm sure all the people in your life do. Uh, that is what drew me to you to reach out. I am grateful for that. I'm grateful for you being a beacon of light and shining your soul, your essence, who you are authentically, real, organically to the world. And I wish for you nothing but uh, more success and more service to you just creating a better world. Uh, so I appreciate you again, the time and your, your commitment to being with me today in our audience. Um, if people want to share, if people want to listen to you more and learn more about you, uh, where and how can they reach you? Just give them all your, your URLs and Instagrams, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, it's, it's Yoga Maris everything. So Yoga Maris on Instagram, Twitter, um, and yogamaris.com. So Y-O-G-A-M-A-R-I-S is where you can find me. Very simple. And if you haven't checked out the Netflix episode of I Am Maris, I highly recommend and employ that you do. Uh, it is a feel-good, touching story, and uh, I'm certain that you'll be moved as I was, and um, you'll get some great lessons out of it. And I'm grateful, Maris. Thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you. Next time, I'm certain we're, our paths will cross again. So uh, keep doing good in school. Get good grades. That's first and foremost. <laughs> it's, uh, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So. Keep, uh, keep your head in the game there and uh, enjoy the, the limelight that is shining on you right now. Thank you so much. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And one more thing before you take off. Would you like to receive a short email from me one time a week on Fridays? Five to Thrive Fridays is a way for me to keep you expanding your health and fitness with five of the coolest things that I find interesting or ideas that I've been thinking about. Health and fitness books, trends, foods, recipes, supplements, anything to keep you feeling healthy and fit over the weekend and beyond. Visit stevejordan.com and click on the hashtag I am healthy and fit to leave your email address. And one more important note, if you found this podcast motivating, inspiring, or educational, please share with your family, your friends, coworkers, or anyone that you know who needs to improve their health or fitness. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. Taking the initiative to share not only helps the people you share it with, but it will help you because the law of giving to get. You see, when you give with generosity without expectation, you will receive more for doing so. And this holds true when you want to be healthy and fit, my friends. This is another exercise that I prescribe to all of my clients. And those that have taken it on have undoubtedly seen the most results. So please, take a few more minutes of your time and do it now. Thank you again for listening. I am healthy and fit.